one of the biggest challenges for investors these days is to get our heads around what's happening with energy. We know big changes are going on and there's lots of disruption, but it's complicated and made more so by politics and ideology. Audrey Zebelman has come in as a breath of fresh air. She's the new CEO of the Australian energy market operator, AEMO, which runs both the electricity and gas markets. And she's now focused on moving the electricity system towards more renewables. Before this, she ran the New York State Public Service Commission, where she was responsible for all the utilities in that state. And before that, she was in charge of America's biggest power grid operator, PJM. Now, last year's AEMO annual report had the words transitioning to a new energy world on its cover. So I started our interview by asking Audrey Zibelman what she thinks that new world looks like. I think, in broadly speaking, we're moving from a world that uh, where we built the grid in the 20th century, where we took advantage of economies of scale associated with large-scale generation, which would have been uh, fueled by coal or natural gas, and in the States, nuclear and hydro, to one that's a mix of those kind of generators with uh, wind and solar, which are quite different, uh, demand-based resources, new technologies to help manage consumption better, and now, of course, storage as a, as a resource that allows us to manage the grid in a much more efficient way. When you say a mix, is it a continually evolving mix? Does it get to the point where there is no coal in the mix? The industry's in transition. And, you know, for me, I uh, like to go back and look at quotes of people like Bill Gates who would say, you know, we're only going to have a certain amount of computers in the world. And I tend to avoid trying to make these broad predictions because you go back and you look at people's broad predictions and you kind of laugh about them because of different things that that evolve that you can't anticipate. But clearly right now from the economics of where this industry is going, uh, certainly in the United States, the uh, price of natural gas is really pricing coal out of the market. That's sort of why people say that in the U.S., even with Trump's assertions around coal. It just can't beat gas as a marginal cost fuel in the markets as they're designed. I think in Australia, we have to think about what's the transition look like. It's a mix of resources, certainly coal, nuclear, and gas, I think will play a role. I think what's most important is, is from an investor standpoint, that we have a clear view about where we want to end up and certainly around emission targets or emission schemes so that people can understand where we're headed. And then we have to think about an economic transition so that as we're moving in that direction, we provide an opportunity to ensure that the markets are transitioning in a stable way, both from the perspective of investors and consumers. And so we have to be honest in that context that coal and natural gas and hydro can play different roles in Australia than they might play elsewhere simply because of price and availability. Well, I I mean, it's interesting you talk about natural gas in the US now kind of beating coal on price. Um, Because I keep reading that in Australia, at least, and other places in the world, solar is uh, beating uh, coal and gas, starting to now beat coal and gas on price. And we're seeing that in the United States, too. I think that the issue is, as we think about the the transition to to where we're headed into the future with uh, resources that supply energy, it's the issue of the transition. You know, ultimately, you can think about a world where what if we had, had a world with a lot more solar, a lot more wind, 
you still need the ability to firm the system. You still need the ability to keep the system stable. We're not going to change physics. So what do we do in terms of transition? And uh, what kind of, with the traditional resources who provide reliability and security to the grid, how do we transition to one where we substitute those with different types of resources and what does that look like? So when I'm talking about the future, it, it is not exactly where we want to end up, but how we transition there in a way that, that makes sense for both investors and consumers. And you've been saying that Australia is leading the world in this transition, not the leader in the world, but look, the sense has been that you've come into a, a situation of chaos in Australia, of crisis, of a lack of proper policy. There's a lot of different ways that it's different. So one is the level penetration of wind and solar, particularly in, in South Australia, where we see it sometimes at 70% of the energies produced by wind and solar, and, and that's very leading edge in terms of the rest of the world. The other thing that's different about Australia compared to uh, Europe and the United States, where you have these uh, network of transmission companies and a lot of more inter interconnection between various markets is that you take a, you're able to take advantage of geographic diversity much better. Our, our system is, well, interconnected is not interconnected to the volume as we see as other resources. What we do have the ability to do, though, is think about how we use demand resources better. So these would be rooftop solar, small-scale storage, the ability to control and shift load, turn on electric uh, heating, all these become resources that help us manage the grid both vertically and horizontally, meaning, and that's what I've been talking about in sort of some of my conversations, if we can harness demand better. And so what's happening in the grid is, is that we don't see the increases of demand that we've done, we saw historically after World War II when everybody was powering up their economies. Buildings have become more efficient, white goods have become more efficient, and so we're seeing a growing level of efficiency, but because of solar and wind, what happens is when the wind dies down or the solar uh, the sun sets or the solar disappears, sun disappears, you see demand come back very quickly. And so you need a resource that can respond fast, which is not really a gas and coal resource. Some gas is now quick responding, but they respond more slowly. So it's understanding that the various types of portfolios of systems you need to do are differently. I think where Australia can lead is how you can integrate solar and wind in such a way that you provide security, but also drive the economy because you're creating a much more efficient overall network. And that's uh, you know certainly the opportunity that attracted me, but uh, where a lot of people, where a lot of countries are looking at this as a problem they might need to solve in 10 years, I think Australia needs to solve it in the next several years. We have to start working on those issues. And does that mainly mean storage, batteries? It could be batteries. It could be um, devices on the transmission system. And it could be thermal storage. So people, you know, when I think about storage, it could also be things like uh, learning how to pre-cool buildings better and use the ability to turn off on and off machinery that doesn't affect the way people are using resources to help provide this instantaneous demand response. And so it's it's uh, very different than we've done previously. In fact, there's a business in South Australia that's uh, using molten silicon as storage. Right. 
And, you know, in, in, in New York uh, and PJM, we use flywheels on the transmission grid as a form of storage that provided regulation and frequency control devices. So, and I think the, you also, as, as you know, when you're in, in an area of rapid technology uh, revolution transformation, you, you've got to assume that someone out there is thinking about something that we're not even hearing about, and in two years, it's going to be out in the market. You've got a pilot program on demand management. What are you trying to test with that, and how much potential does it have? What we're trying to test with demand management is this exactly uh, solving this problem I was talking about. So we have times of the year where we, what we're worried about is, is not the normal summer day, but summer days where it's above 35 degrees or even above 41 degrees, and it's hot across the uh, southeast of Australia. And so what we're looking at is during those periods of time, what we have is embedded in our system is, is distributed generation. We have storage. We have solar. We have customers who are able to shift their load very quickly. What we're trying to do with Arena is show them if we pay them a, essentially a reservation fee and say, look, if we can call on you a certain amount of hours during the course of the summer when these conditions are present for a short period of time, can you respond quickly? And if they can... By turning something off. It may not even be turning something off. It may be turning something on. They may have a generator they can turn on. They may have storage where they stored the solar and then they just released it. So nothing gets turned off. They may have a pool pump that can get cycled, a refrigerator that gets cycled. So nothing gets turned off. That's what It's not like turning out the lights. And are you it's talking about paying consumers or businesses? Both. Right. And who pays them? The government? In this case, what would happen is that we would, we're working with Arena to pay what we call this reservation fee. In the United States, where these programs are active, the, the market pays it. So I, I look at it this way. If we know that to turn on the next generator, uh, we're going to have to increase the market price to $12,000 a megawatt hour. And a customer says, well, for $8,000 a megawatt hour, I'm more happy to shift my demand. So you don't have to pay that generator 12000 because I'm, I'm bidding it at a lower price. That's just another resource for me. So what I'm looking for is what we've, is we've learned in the grid that the more uh, competition is going to drive price. And what we haven't had an opportunity to do is get the demand-based resources to compete head-to-head -head in a way they can compete effectively, which is over short durations and with very fast response. And if by setting up a market that does that, we're increasing competition, which will increase innovation and help make the entire system more, more innovative and more productive and therefore more economically efficient while solving um, potentially environmental concerns. As ARENA, which stands for Australian Renewable Energy something, what is it, the A? Net uh, network administrator, yeah. is it? Yeah. Well, anyway, so have they um, accepted that that demand management uh, potential is a part of their job? Yes. I mean, what Arena is looking at is better ways to integrate renewables. And so the thing that we know about renewables is that for a large part of the year, it's very valuable. They're low-cost energy, and they allow us to achieve economic and, and environmental goals simultaneously. But they're also intermittent. And so that means that we need to have resources that can respond. The experience that we have elsewhere is that demand-based resources become a very good complement. So I think about it this way. Traditionally, what would happen is, is that someone turns on a light 
or they turn on a piece of machinery, and a grid operator, uh, AEMO, would have to increase the output of a generator to make sure that we're always making, that, that the demand is always equaling out supply. Now we have a situation which the generation is solar, and one thing we could depend upon on solar is when the sun sets, the solar goes away. But if we can now have resources on the demand side, on the customer side, that say, well, when the sun is setting, I'm going to shift my load or turn on my battery so that we don't have to turn on another generator. And essentially, I am following the generation. So you're shifting the world. Another example I like to use is wind blows best at night. So if we have storage facilities, even in, in the United States, people are using a lot of ice storage. So rather than using electricity to make uh, to cool their buildings, they'll put what we call an, a little an ice maker on the top of their roof, and they'll make ice at night when the energy costs are low, and they'll melt it during the course of the day to cool the building. And so it's rather than using electricity, oh, during, it's a form of storage. And so when you think about that, then what happens is you're saying, well, what we really need is we need to usage at night, and why don't we use the, slow, the wind at night to make, form the ice, melt it during the day when the wind may not be available, and you've just shifted your demand. So you, you haven't turned off anything. You've just been smarter about how you used electricity. You said in your submission to the Finkel review that you're working with ARENA in a range of areas. What other ways are you working with them? Well, we're, we have a, an, an understanding that we've worked with them to look at these various demonstrations. So another one is we've done is a virtual power generator. So think about it this way. If uh, you have solar and storage on your house and your neighbor has it on their house and the supermarket also has some resources that they could put to bear and a local uh, university also has a distributed generator they could use to bear, if you could bring them all together, suddenly they look like a pretty large size generator. And if you could get that to work together, that again becomes an alternative to having to build a, a unit that you're just going to use a few hours a year. So it, it's the idea. So it's called virtual power generation. Think about it as an orchestra. Yeah. You've got violins, clarinets, all these various resources. Somebody needs to pull this together. So do you see it as your job to be the conductor? Um, I think that our job is to help the conductor, and the conductor can be an aggregator, or it could be a distribution utility, it could be a retailer, business. and it could say to them, "This is when we need your resource," and then they work with uh, them. So we're like the uh, producer. One of the complaints about Australia, of which there are many, about the political environment in Australia has been the lack of uh, sort of uh, policy certainty over the years, which has led to a lack of investment. And we've had this terrible argument about what's going on in South Australia, where everyone's using it to sort of push their barrow, whatever the barrow might be. So what's your perspective on that? Have we had a lack of investment in Australia that's causing us a problem now? I think what we're seeing is a changing in the economics. I mean, you're listening to, you know, I listen to the industry players like AGL and, and also Origin, you know, people who have traditionally invested in one sort of supply and now are looking at the prices of wind and solar going down. I think what, what we need to do is we need to recognize that the economics have changed. The cost of batteries, I expect, to you know, sort of follow suit. And so we now need to start thinking about, well, what are the policies and the market design that we need to create in the system 
to provide the confidence that we're getting better value out of that. I certainly think that, uh, and this is true in the United States, and I think it's true in parts of Europe. So this is, I wouldn't, if I were Australia, I wouldn't be wearing this badge and think I'm the only, we're the only country that's, that's struggling with this. The fact of the matter is these are long-lived assets. And uh, when people invest in, in these kind of resources, they're investing millions or billions of dollars, and they need a certain level of certainty of where things are going to be in five to 10 years, regardless of the resource. And, so, and the other piece of this is the fact that what's not going to change is that energy remains an incredibly important input cost to an economy. And so we need to get to policies where people, that, so that the markets are investable, that with a confidence that the outcomes are going to be where policymakers feel confidence. So that's why when you hear me talk about things like affordability, it's just the recognition that having an affordable energy resource becomes a very important part for economic wealth of any government. So we need to be working hand in hand with the regulators to figure out how do we design the market so that the, the outcomes are such that the resources, the product remains affordable which means then governments don't feel a need to intervene because the markets have provided the value that they need to provide, which is affordable heating and electricity. And the other thing that we're beating ourselves up about is gas. Right. And you know the gas crisis you hear about all the time, which is the idea that we're exporting it all instead of and we're having a domestic shortage. You're responsible for gas as well. Is that the case? Our report identified the fact that as for, as for gas, because we need it for heating, we need it for process, and, and now increasingly we need it for generation, that there are, gonna, there are periods of time that we were worried about not having sufficient gas in the domestic market. And it's something that we need to continue to watch. I think the Prime Minister's program around assuring gas supply during these peak periods, uh, having us work with uh, the ACCC and really look at what kind of information we're gonna need so that we can work closely then with the industry in identifying what are going to be the domestic needs so they can respond in kind. And I think, you know, again, it's a change. When there was plenty of gas available, when we were using more black coal, these things weren't as important now as we're starting to see the interdependence between the electric markets and the gas markets, having that close relationship and getting the transparency so as I've been saying, we, can, we know that the gas is where it needs to be when we need it to be there is going to be critical. Should we have had a reservation policy? I don't really like to comment on what should have been or could have been. I'm just looking at what we need to do now. <laughs> Fair enough. But prices have gone up. I mean, both gas and electricity prices have gone up a lot. A lot of, a lot of businesses in particular are complaining, and now there are dire warnings that we might end up with a, some sort of recession or at least an economic downturn as a result of that. Do you see that in our future? That's not the type of thing that uh, I like to predict because it's really outside of the, my frame of reference and expertise. What I think is absolutely critical, and you know, as I, as before I came here, I was the chief regulator in New York and it's something I it was part of my job to care about, but I, you know, it's so important to the economy. We just need to have efficient gas for industry and for heating and for processing and for gen electric generation, and we need efficiently priced electricity. It has to be at a level that allows the economy to thrive. Now, I believe we can get there by well-designed markets, but it does mean that we need to step back, look at our current market designs, 
and not what the incremental changes would be, but really the truly the step changes that need to happen in order to make sure that we can deliver the value that the markets have historically delivered. So I, I'm not I'm optimistic that we can get there, but we can only get there if people recognize that we it's not going to be just one or two things that need to be looked at, but a very comprehensive look and say, different set of resources, they need a different set of market design, we need to be very clear about where we're going and in what time frame we need to get it done with the expected outcomes. And a government should identify the outcomes, whether it's environmental outcomes or economic outcomes, and then the markets, should, and for people like myself and AMC and AR, we should work together to say, well, this is how we can deliver to that. One thing you have said is that the old wants to become new. That is to say, the the legacy players, people like AGL and Origin, are trying to become uh, new businesses. Do you think that they'll succeed? I, I think they will, and I would add to that the, the distribution utilities. I mean, I, I've seen, uh, we've all seen this sort of witness, the change in the information industry and companies that were the oak guard and were objecting to different changes now are sort of own those companies. And so it is going to be radical. I, you know, part of the problem is in, in all these transformations is that you have really good management they, they absolutely want to move forward, and then they, you know, it's their job, really, to bring in the right people to, to help them. The role that an entity like AIMO play, needs to play, and really regulators need to play, is say, look, we can't expect these industries to change as the technology is changing, but keep the markets designed as they always were, or keep regulation as it always was. It all needs to move. And the biggest thing I think is very exciting is this is no longer a technology issue. Technology is moving fast. It really becomes a question of making sure the right regulatory market and business models are in place so that we can take advantage of it. Thanks very much for speaking to us. Thank you. I've been talking to Audrey Zebelman the CEO of Australian Energy Market Operator. <laughs>